The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush. This is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show and weekly Return of the Jedi spoiler cast. Of course, we're going to be diving deep into the show that we were all talking about before we started this episode. Uh, but no, I'm joined this week by Brian Altana. Um, I still don't know why the Rancor Keeper cried like that, but it's one of the most heartbreaking <laughs> moments in the whole film. We're going to spend a roughly about 20 minutes later on that. So I look forward to that. Well. Uh, I we're, also joined, <laughs> we're joined this week by Mitchell Saltzman. Uh, what's up, everyone? Hey, Mitchell. And also joining us this week again, Taylor Lyles. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us as well. <laughs> thank you for having me, Dorno. And Taylor, especially thank you, a uh, little peek behind the curtain. Uh, Lucy O'Brien was going to be on this week's episode, uh, but there is massive construction happening at her apartment building. So last minute she had to duck out and Taylor gracefully jumped in at the last moment. So thank you for hopping in so last minute. I appreciate it. Uh, we, yeah, no problem. Yeah. I guess you could say I'm the real MVP today. That's mm-hmm. yep. That please, Red, put that as uh, Taylor's lower third for the rest of the episode. Uh, before we go on, just wanted to briefly say uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in for our uh, Gamescom episode. Uh, we we recorded it before it aired, but it was live during the whole Gamescom show. And thank you to everyone who tuned in for the entirety of the Gamescom coverage. That show is obviously a huge undertaking for the entire IGN staff, and and a ton of work went into it. Uh, across the board so thank you to everyone who tuned in for that as well uh and i also wanted to just say thank you to everyone uh for the podcast beyond fans who have been talking to twitter on twitter recently for the last couple days just thank you to everyone there's been a lot of kind support for the show i just wanted to say thank you because you all are wonderful and we love making the show for you uh before we get into the topics for this week which are going to include uh playstation plus games some more elden ring uh to follow up on mitchell's hands-off preview uh, and a few other things. I uh, did briefly just also want to put out a call for more memory card stories. Uh, have a few left in the email that I need to go back through and make sure I, I didn't miss. But uh, please continue to send some more in uh, and preferably keep them a little bit shorter. Uh, I, I read every story that we get and some of them are amazing, but some of them have been like uh, college essay level length and we just probably can't read that long on the show. Uh, I I. Can I, I appreciate so much people sharing that, but just for the sake of brevity and time, if you can send something a little shorter, uh, basically, if you've, you, you know, you've gone past the double spaced page, you've gone too far. You um, write the long one and then just also have the TLDR version at the bottom. Like that Twitter, all works. You know, yeah. Like if you, if you want to share that story with us, we're grateful to that and really, really appreciate the candor and honesty that everyone shared with these. But just in terms of sharing them on the show, we want to make sure we can, you know, crystallize them and, and get them out there for the audience. So appreciate if you're uh, willing and able to do that. But uh, 
Other than that, I think that's all the housekeeping for the beginning of this show. Uh, let's jump in before we get to the Return of the Jedi uh, discussion, of course. Uh, <laughs> let's jump in. Briefly wanted to mention uh, this month's PlayStation Plus games were announced uh, the day we're recording this. Uh, they include Overcooked All You Can Eat, which is for PS5. That is the Overcooked bundle, so it includes Overcooked 1 and 2 and a few other uh, of the DLC packs and things like that. Uh, and then for PS4 and then, of course, uh, PS5 backward compatibility, is Hitman 2 and Predator Hunting Grounds. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a pretty heavily, you know, third-party, obviously, uh, month for it. Uh, I think if you've missed out on any of those games, it's a pretty wide selection, and so hopefully there's something that uh, appeals to you. It's definitely sort of uh, an odd mishmash of things. Uh, Brian, I'll, I'll just throw to you quickly. What, what do you feel about the, this month's games? Uh, I'm I'm into it, actually. I mean, I personally have all of them, so it's kind of a bummer for me. But if you have been on the fence about getting any of these, this is a great opportunity to jump in. Uh, Overcooked, you know, the, we've, everybody has said enough about this okay. game, but it's yeah. worth saying one more time that if you uh, are looking for like a really fun co-op couch game to play with, uh, you know, potentially somebody who doesn't play a lot of video games, or you're trying to get like a friend or a roommate, your partner or something like that to get into video games. This is this is a great one. And it maybe will make them never want to play video games again, too, because you'll be fighting over, you know, burned food or whatever. Um, <laughs> Hitman's great. Uh, more Hitman's though is awesome. The Hitman's one of the best games this year. So play Hitman, too. And Predator Hunting Grounds is uh, like a, a really, really interesting, really fun sort of asymmetrical multiplayer game that uh, I had a really good time with. And they're continuing to add new uh, skins and dlc to it all the time so um it's made by ilphonic they've been doing cool stuff recently so yeah download these games check them out even if you don't get to them immediately just queue them up put them in your library so you have them forever yeah it's a it's a good um sort of jumble of things and yeah as, as brian said i i think we've talked about overcooked plenty on this show but just for reference all you can eat is a the ps5 version so it has improved frame rate and that's definitely been one of the things uh sometimes those games when you have four people going and it's as crazy and complex as the game gets it can run a little bit slowly this kind of improves all of that and like i said it has all of the content from that series so definitely mm-hmm. go check that out and yeah predator started a little bit rocky but as you said they've been supporting it uh you know since launch ilphonic has been doing a really great job of that uh they just released arcade again uh earlier this year as well so they've got they've got their hands busy with multiplayer games but yeah it's cool to see uh those yeah, three and, Mitchell. and i'll just say that hitman 2 is my favorite of the hitman trilogy so yes. like if you have not played hitman please get on that train because <laughs> mm-hmm. You are missing out. And like I, I've seen a bunch of people already like this year who jumped on with Hitman Free Hitman Three and I've said that like, you know, I I, I you know passed on this game for lo- the longest time and I went back and played all all three of them. So man, what a what a game. Hitman two. <laughs> is is that the one with the racetrack? Racetrack. Oh, that, that's one that of my favorite levels. Great. Oh yeah. right, right. That mission's so good. Uh Taylor, I don't know about you. Are you a fan of any of these games? Are you interested in checking them out if you're not? Have you what your sort of I'm game? actually interested in playing Hitman 2. Uh, is that the game that also had that like boomerang looking suitcase? Where you yes! Yes! <laughs> the homing boomerang! It's so good. You throw the boomerang when they're on the jet ski. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> when I saw that, I, I think it was on Twitter, I saw that I was like, I have to play this game now. So <laughs> the fact that it's free for PlayStation Plus, I was like, wow, this is even more of an incentive for me to play the game now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a... It's it's definitely a good one to jump into. Uh, there's no commentary on the PlayStation blog at this point, so I don't know if it's true, but I know that in Hitman 3, you can import the levels for 1 and 2. I know there's been some weird stuff where games were available for PlayStation Plus, but didn't like always give you benefits like that. So double check if it, if it does let you import after you uh, download it. 
uh, and play everything in Hitman 3 because Hitman 3 is amazing and I keep forgetting that came out this year. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of other stuff to to discuss for this month. Those come out uh, next week, I believe, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, September 7th, and they'll be available to Monday, October 4th. Uh, so let's jump into some other topics. Uh, as, of course, if you listened to last week's episode uh, or watched it live, you'll know uh, that Mitchell uh, gracefully jumped in in the midst of preparing all of his preview content for Elden Ring uh, to speak to Brian and Max a little bit about uh, the hands-off preview that he had of Elden Ring. Uh, and I thought we could take this as an opportunity to, now that it's been a few more days, you've had a little bit more time to think about it. And also, uh, you know, people have had time to now see the the sort of full breadth of your coverage to get some questions from the audience. But before we jump into it, Mitchell, and I apologize that you're going to have to talk quite a bit for the next few minutes. But um, I did just sort of want to say, is there anything that like, you know, a few days removed, like what really sticks out to you from like what you saw or people's reactions to, you know, descriptions of what people have seen, like what, what's sort of been kind of like sticking in your mind about the game? Uh, the one thing that I've, I've learned is that surprise, surprise, the Elden Ring community is very hungry for new gameplay. <laughs> and I hate to disappoint anyone. There still will not be any new gameplay shown in this, this podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's always a bummer when, when you get to see something really cool and you're not able to actually show what you saw. Um, I, I wish, I wish I was able to, you know, just project from my mind into all your minds, everything that, you know, I was able to take a look at. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the, the big thing, the, the, the bummer of not being able to, to show people what the 15 minutes that, you know, the, the, the select few groups of, of media people got to see. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I still stand by everything that you know I, I wrote in the the preview. I thought it looked amazing. Um, I cannot wait to play it, and I think Elden Ring is is doing a lot of things very interesting in the soul space that uh, that I think people are going to really be into. And uh, I, I do hope we get that Cerebro esque technology one day to see what's going on in your brain. Yeah. But um, yeah, speaking of that, I, I guess a, f a few questions did sort of talk about. Uh, you know, Elden Ring in context of other Souls games. And I do want to get to that, but I, I do also want to, of course, yeah, as you said, don't expect to see new gameplay here uh, of any kind. We're obviously just still going off of Mitchell's uh, impressions. They didn't give any sort of public announcement on when there will be new things shown, correct? Because a few people did no. ask about that. Cool. No. Um, this reminds me of, was it Cyberpunk a few years ago? There was like a big BCD thing um, and a whole bunch of people press people got to see it and then weren't allowed to basically leak it or reveal it or show it. And we just had to do a lot of like very old school, you know, magazine style coverage where there's like <laughs> four screenshots and then a lot of words, but yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. don't shoot the messenger on this. I saw a lot of comments being like, how come there's no new gameplay? And it's, you know, Mitchell had to play by the rules and I'm, I'm glad that he got to see it and write about it and talk about it because that's as good as we'll get for a while. Yeah, and uh, luckily, you know, we're we're less than half a year away from the release date, so it's it's not too far off. Uh, but to jump into some of these questions, uh, first one from Phil that I wanted to bring up was um, from what you saw, and I know you talked a little bit about sort of the the map integration for this game, which is unique for Elden Ring compared to other Souls games. Uh, like, did you get a sense of how big the map is, or how big the world uh, was in general, based on what you saw, and especially like just any sort of breadth of comparison to other open world games that you can pull from yeah so when they brought up the map they they kind of panned a little bit to like the left so the first area is is that 
the first area that they showed was that first open area that you know you've seen in trailers. Uh, it's it's the one with like the the air tree in the background, and then they panned to the left, and it ended up being I think it's right after the first legacy dungeon, and it was like a, a huge open valley with a forest in the middle, and then there was all kinds of stuff you know to the to the right of that. So you know, I think in comparison to other open worlds. It's probably not going to be as big as The Witcher. It's not going to be as big as as uh, you know Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but it's it's one of those things where it's going to be a very dense map. Um, I think the biggest you know the biggest clue to how big this world is going to be is that they've said that there's going to be six actual areas, um, and each of those areas is going to have its own legacy dungeon. So just kind of imagine like I, I want to say imagine like a blight town, a, a big area before blight town, and then you know a bunch of dungeons all interspersed in like in that area, and that's one section, and then there's six of those. So that's that's kind of how I've been been rec- reconciling the size of Elden Ring's map in my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's it was kind of it's it's the map seems big. I'll just say the map the map <laughs> seems very big. Yeah. It's not on the same level as an Assassin's Creed Odyssey or or Witcher Three, if that you know answers the question. I'm like very okay with that personally because I feel like there there at least for a while there was sort of like an arms race to see who could make the biggest open world game, and I think there's value to that in some in some ways. But I also think that like I'd rather have something that's a little more sort of like constrained and bespoke but interesting than sprawling and endless. I, I actually personally get overwhelmed with like when open world games get too big. Um, and there isn't like a ton to do there. I appreciate the sort of minimalism of some of them, but like at some point I just go like, oh, I'm never going to see all this, you know? And I, this is a game where I, I probably will explore every corner. Cause one of my favorite things to do in games like this is to, you know, tread into an area where you're like, Oh, am I supposed to be here yet? Oh no, I'm not. These things are ready to murder me. <laughs> like yeah. that's that discovery and, um, immediate followed by immediate humility is is one of my favorite cycles of the Soulsborne genre yeah and i think you'll get that in elden ring for sure like there were definitely areas that i looked at on the map and i'm like oh man if like it seems like going left is the way you want to go and going right is just like a recipe for destruction for just (laughs) death (laughs) so i think that it is that kind of thing where like in dark souls one there's no there's no real guidance on where you on where you go but you get Mm -hmm. beaten into that path like if you try to go to the you know the graveyard and go down to the tomb of the giants straight away, you're gonna get you know the the heck beaten out of you by skeletons, and then you're just gonna wander into a a, a dark area that you're not gonna be able to see where you're going. I, so I, I think I, I just started replaying that game a couple of weeks ago. I know exactly exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I was like, I'm just gonna run full speed down this, <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, it's, it's not, not gonna last. end well. Yeah. It's, it's so I, I, I envision Elden Ring being very similar along those lines. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm very much the same way. I would always prefer a smaller but more, as, as Brian said, like bespoke and, and dense world than mm-hmm. one. That, there, as you said, there's value in expansion and, and seeing what you can do with wider spaces. But yeah, something like this. Uh, I'm cool with it being smaller, but having a ton to do in those spaces. Um Speaking of sort of talking about the space of it as well, uh, Timelander asked, and, the, and this may be something that's hard to see from from what you you know watched, but was there any dynamic weather or I, like I'm just curious, 
what is it like being in the the world? Because it we are seeing different times of day. There there are hints at some different like weather patterns, but was that changing as he went, or did that seem more like location specific? There was not dynamic weather. I'm pretty sure the the conditions of the weather are very dependent on what like area you're in, what biome you're in. So like that, like I said, that first open area has that you know very yellowish sky. And then um, the second area that we saw, the one with the big valley and the the like forest in the middle, um, it was much more overcast and kind of like a bluish, cloudy kind of sky. And then right here is the first uh, legacy dungeon, if you're watching on video, and that's also in the first area. And it gets you know a little more a little more cloudy as you're getting further into that you know that second area with the the valley. Um, so yeah, I think the, the areas are, are very dependent or the, the weather is very dependent on what area you're in. Cool. Uh, moving on from there, Damon asked, uh, did it seem like Elden Ring's jump mechanic made an impact in combat? Uh, I, in Sekiro's combat, uh, jumping is vital. Uh, whereas obviously in the Souls games, you're more grounded literally. So did it feel like you were more anchored to the ground like a Souls game or did it feel like jumping did really play an impact in the, the gameplay you saw? I don't think it's going to have the same impact as it does in Sekiro's combat because in Sekiro you use jumping as like a one of your main defensive tools. Like if enemies are sweeping, you're going to have to jump over that sweep. Um, I haven't I haven't seen anything along those lines in Elden Ring. It does seem much more like the traditional Soul style of combat. But what they did say is that you have a jump attack, and that jump attack can can blow away guards. So it's kind of like another another heavy attack it's another attack that you have in your arsenal and i imagine that that attack is going to be very specific depending on what weapon you're using so i think it is going to be important in that way you're going to have this new attack in your arsenal that some enemies are probably going to react you know maybe more to than if you were just to you know do a regular weak attack or strong attack gotcha if that makes sense yeah, no, totally. I mean, honestly, everything you say, just telling me more about this game is like, oh, I just really want to play Elden Ring right now. So it's, it's good to hear all of this. This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, let's hear them talk about it. Shows that are so bad they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. 
One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Ryan asked, I don't believe it's McCaffrey. Uh, Ryan said, given some of the beautiful games we've experienced this year and after seeing what Blue Point did with Demon Souls, did the graphics feel underwhelming uh, or, or did they feel like up to par with current games? Do you think it will be an issue at launch in any way? Like, but what, what did your, I guess, what was your general impression of it graphically? Um, graphically, I, you know, <laughs> FromSoft makes some beautiful games. Uh, I, you know, it's not on the same level as Demon's Souls because obviously Demon's Souls was made from the ground up for PlayStation 5. There's no PlayStation 4 version of, of uh, you know, the Demon's Souls remake. Um, so this this has a look that is kind of reminiscent, I think, of Dark Souls 3, of Bloodborne. Um, it, it feels along the same lines of quality. Um, but that said, like, it's still absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, the, the draw distance is, is super impressive. Um, the, the art design is, you know, second to none in terms of this style of game. And yeah, I was super impressed by, by, by what I saw, but not, not blown away in the way I would be if it was, you know, a PlayStation five exclusive or a game that like screams, you know, current gen PlayStation five, Xbox series X, et cetera. Oh, I don't think I can hear you anymore. You couldn't, because I muted my mic while I uh, ah. took a sip of water. <laughs> uh, I, you know, obviously tell me if Mitchell and Brian, uh, if I'm way off base. And Taylor, I actually, before we go any further, are you a huge Souls person, or are you someone who hasn't played? Are you interested in Eldering? Like, where do you where do you sit with Soulsborne? Yeah, so um, I actually uh, do like the Soulsborne games. Uh, I haven't played Sekiro yet, but I'm really excited for Elden Ring. And, you know, I'm just like echoing what Brian said earlier, too. You know, I think if it was like a mass open world, I don't know how much I'd be emotionally invested in like searching every corner. Uh, I feel with some open world games, there's that issue of uh, quantity over quality. So it's like, oh, there's all this stuff I could do. But if it all feels a little bit the same, what difference does it make if I complete all of it? You know what I mean? So I'm actually kind of uh, curious to see what they do uh, with Elden Ring. Uh, just uh, that that teaser trailer that we saw, like the announcement, the reveal trailer, I was hyped for it reading Mitchell's preview. I was like, can I play this right now? <laughs> or just find a time machine and just skip to, to January so I can play it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out in these next few months, but yeah, I'm really itching for January. But yeah, I, I feel like with Soul, uh, especially with FromSoft, when it comes to their games, like, 
even when it isn't pushing the boundaries like on a technical level, they always seem to really have this style that I think right. lives through. And even something like Brian, I know you're saying you're just starting Dark Souls Remastered. Like I, I played it a few months back for the first time. Yes, it doesn't hold up to modern Souls games, of course, on a graphical level, but the art style is so interesting and, and so engrossing that it it kind of doesn't matter as I play. Yeah, art direction goes a long way in in video games, especially. I, th- I mean, it's such a visual medium, right? And it's also, I think that like the FromSoft design philosophy is so rooted in sort of quintessential classic horror movie monsters that I love so much, right? Like that's one of my favorite genres in the world. There's a, a practicality to the way uh, their their enemies and and creatures are are constructed that almost feel like something you would see in like a vintage Clive Barker movie or something like that. Like it's very much like you can it, you could feel like the the theoretically these would be practical effects if they were to make a movie out of this, right? Like there's tattered pieces of rag hanging off and like weird skin and you know bones jutting out. There's all this like really really cool stuff, and so I will take a more condensed open world that's rife with horrifying creatures and monsters and awesome, awesome things to, you know, shriek and awe at, uh, rather than something like, like, you know, not to throw Assassin's Creed under the bus. The recent Assassin's Creed games have been vast and massive, but it's mostly like, I understand who I'm interacting with. It's, it's a lot of the same people over and over again. And I'm, I'm like, I, I love going into the sort of like high fantasy corners of video games, like stuff like this is where, things get really, really interesting. I like some of these creature designs are incredible. They're so cool. And I, I just, yeah. I can't wait to turn a corner and just go, what is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I really want the Jim Henson company of the eighties, like of the dark crystal era to yes. make like a real life puppetry of, of so many of these creatures. It's yes. Just make, make a, <laughs> make a puppeteered kids from soft TV show. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> From Soft, Jim Henson Company, obviously. Uh, call there, us. There you know, was, we'll, we'll work it did, out. Did you see there was an artist on Twitter recently? Uh, I retweeted him, but he was uh, he shared a bunch of images he did of basically um, Muppets and Sesame Street characters yes. drawn yeah. in the Bloodborne art style. It's and it so worked good. way too well. It worked yeah. way too well. I have well. to see this. Yeah, yes. it's amazing. Well, yeah, I got to see this. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you guys can't find it. We'll link it after the show. It's really yeah. cool. Uh, moving through just a couple other questions, uh, some some rando on the internet named Red uh, asked, "Who is the protagonist's favorite band?" This is such a good question that I actually asked Kitao-san while I had my Q and A. What? And surprisingly, <laughs> awesome. uh, he said BTS. BTS <gasps> is the tarnishes the tarnished's favorite band. Oh, what year does this not true? That's not true. That's not true. Oh my god! <laughs> it looks like Elden Ring does have permission to dance. <laughs> that's for the bts fans. i don't know <laughs> look, uh, look forward to the, look forward to the elden ring mcdonald's meal coming in <laughs> february by the way <laughs> the the bts dlc pack where your character gets to dress as jimin is going to just be fantastic <laughs> the bts fandom uh moving on from there uh last but not least casey also asked again not casey defritus of our staff uh heard about the summons in the game and obviously i know this is something that's been touched on but is that something you can use whenever you want once you get it or are there very specific conditions in which you can summon can you just speak a little bit about what you know of summons so from what i have heard about summons uh summons are like a stat that you can you know spec your your character into so if you go like big on summons you're you're kind of you know limiting the amount that you can spend in like vitality endurance strength etc etc um and they also said that there are like monuments 
that you can you can visit to to, to summon at those mon monuments. Um, so I think it is you. I don't think you can summon everywhere. If I like, I think I had the the actual quote prepped here. Um, uh, and then you'll you'll keep these as infinite use items that you can use at special monuments around the map, especially in places where there are a lot of enemies present. So you'll be able to summon them and use them to to fight alongside your uh, alongside at your preference. So yeah, so you'll you'll get a, a summon item basically. That item will be for a specific monster, and once you get it, you have unlimited uses of it. Uh, but it seems like you have to use it at certain spots, so you can't just you know use it throughout the the whole world. Um, but those spots are usually the places that you'd want to use them in anyway. If that yeah. answers answers the question, you had mentioned yeah. last week that like uh, gathering those summons is is sort of like you know Castlevania Aria of Sorrow or something where you're repeatedly fighting grinding on enemies until like they drop a thing that you can then equip yeah but not not all spirit summons are gained that way like it, mm. i've i've found out that some of them are um but others you can find in vendors others you can just find you know out in the world as like a shiny um so there's a lot of different ways they can collect these these summons i don't think it's like exactly like castlevania where you know you just you know, you go to a bonfire, you you kill an enemy, you go back to the bonfire, you kill an enemy, go back to the bonfire, kill an enemy. Oh, I got the summon. <laughs> I can move on. <laughs> I used to marathon like entire TV shows while doing that, just running in and out and fighting the same like merman over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Best way to get through podcasts if you're backed up. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I'm really fascinated to see more of that aspect of the game. I think it's a really interesting twist on a thing that, you know, is a core part of Souls games when it comes to like summoning other players. But the idea that this is a more complex thing within the game in Elden Ring and something that you can you know stat and, and build into is a, is a really fascinating approach um, sure. Mitchell between obviously you know your discussion last week on the show and, and all the questions here is there anything else that you, you want to make sure we, we touch on before we, we move on to other topics or, or anything you feel like in, in the Elden Ring hole that you have learned that you feel like hasn't gotten this spot um, I think just maybe like highlighting the fact that this is a world where there's like just so much excitement for for exploration um like one of the, my big takeaways from from watching the, the demo was just how much i wanted to take the control away and be like okay but what if we went here <laughs> what if we went this way um what would i find like the I, I mentioned in the preview like even just during the the legacy dungeon and you think of these legacy dungeons as like self-contained dungeons but as i like looked off in the distance there was like a, a lone house on a, a bridge and i was just like man what is in that house <laughs> um how do i get there is that tied to the legacy dungeon is it something that i can get to after i get through the legacy dungeon um so just like the feeling of of wanting to know what's beyond certain certain barriers is like the most enticing thing I think uh, that I can take away from from watching that Elden Ring presentation. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you again for answering all these questions, Mitchell, and thank you to everyone out there who uh, you know responded with those and, and are as curious as we all are. Uh, about this game and and Mitchell you've continued to knock it out of the park with your Elden Ring coverage and even though we only have 
a few more months before it comes out. I hope there will be more beats for you to continue to show off how awesome of a knowledgeable Soulsborne person you are. Because uh, it's oh, always great you. to talk to you about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, as, as uh, was probably referenced last week as well, but um, you know, you can check out all of the Elden Ring coverage on IGN, uh, all of Mitchell's coverage, uh, the discussion last week on Beyond, uh, video preview, again, not with new gameplay, but but going in depth on what Mitchell saw. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely continue to talk about that one as we get closer. Uh, but moving on, I want to talk about a few other subjects. Uh, first one we're going to jump into uh, from some of the recent conversations going on is a more PlayStation related conversation. And that's one dealing with uh, Naughty Dog and Crunch. And this is, of course, something that's come up uh, you know, a lot in the last couple of years related to obviously The Last of Us Part Two and, and sort of broader looks at Naughty Dog and, and other companies within the gaming industry when it comes to the discussion around crunch. This is something that, um, you know, continues to come up. Uh, and, and this time it, it came from an interview with uh, Naughty Dog leads Neil Druckmann and Evan Wells uh, in uh, Game Informer, I believe it was. Uh, I swear I just heard some crows. Yeah, what was that? That was a- <laughs> that was that was me. Uh, there no, were I, Bloodborne I, has has you know entered into my reality. I was going to say uh, there, like we're in Elden Ring. <laughs> yeah, there's there is an exclusive Elden Ring pre-order bonus where they do send you three live crows. Uh, <laughs> come to your house for a couple months to help you count down the game. <laughs> apparently this guy has just turned blood red uh, <laughs> did you did you hit the summon button on your keyboard? <laughs> fun fact i was reading apparently crows can be like extremely kind and recognize people and, and oh if you, if you are kind to them they will be kind to you and essentially like kind of protect you um so oh. mitchell be good to those crows uh anyway right. shifting back uh to you know something completely related to those crows <laughs> PlayStation. I'm uh, going to talk a little bit uh, about this discussion. I just wanted to pull out a few highlights from this. Obviously, there were, were news stories on IGN, uh, and the full interview is on Game Informer that you can read with Evan and Neil. It goes through a ton else than Crunch, but obviously the, the Crunch aspects got sort of the, the focus of discussion. Um, one or two of the things that were discussed um, were both Crunch and unionization. Uh, on the Crunch side, uh, I did want to pull... Uh, a couple specific comments. These are uh, in response to a question. Naughty Dog is such a proven track record, but that hasn't come without a cost. Over the years, you've come under fire for Studio Crunch. Could you speak to your personal experience with Crunch and how that's affected the studio? Uh, Evan replied, I have definitely personally worked very hard over the years. I think some of that has helped me get to where I am in my career. As a studio, we've all worked hard together and we are working very hard on every project to find the right balance, just like we do in all of our technical aspects of creating a game. We have postmortems and we look at how the animation went and we look at how the design went and we dig really deep into all the things that we could have been uh, that could have been better and the things we got right. We do the same thing with production. We look at how the whole game was created and where we can make improvements and how we can strike the right balance between giving the opportunity to, as I mentioned earlier, uh, leave their mark on the industry and advance their craft in ways that have never been achieved, but also find space along that spectrum. Uh, And then Neil said, we have so many talented people that are good at solving problems, whether they're creative or technical. Um, Let me go back to The Last of Us Part Two. Some pillars that were important to us were diversity, diversity in the people we hire and the characters that we have in our game, as well as accessibility and how do we make our games more accessible. Likewise, we are looking at quality of life for preventing burnout to employ the brain power we have in our studio. And we started coming out with working groups to talk about the areas in the studio where we can improve. We worked a particular way when we were 40 people now we have to evolve as we keep growing. 
Uh, and, and there's a little bit more as they go on. Neil says everyone has a different definition of what crunch means. And I guess for us, we think of it as how do we look out for the well-being of our colleagues and everyone that works at Naughty Dog, which is some combination of how many hours you work and how much stress you're feeling. Whether that's something that's going on in the office or at home, we find that there is no one solution that fits everybody. Everybody has a unique situation we might need to address. Um, and Brian, I want to start uh, with you because obviously we, we've talked a lot in the past about, obviously, you know, Naughty Dog's games and the crunch sort of discussion around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- they're clearly not denying that crunch has happened at the studio, um, and, and, uh, but obviously talking about some of the it's this weird complex conversation where i think they're talking about some of the benefits of how hard their team has worked and the things they've produced like the accessibility advancements that have happened out of the last of us part two and things like that but at the same time the reality of is this causing burnout within the studio is this cause like advancement shouldn't come at the disregard for for employee uh you know livelihood i feel like is is an important thing that they they seem to be talking around here, but I feel like as a key component yeah. of of a way to solve crunch. Um, yeah, what, talking what talking around this? is the exact. That, yeah, I think you nailed it right there. Yeah. That, that's what I won't call it a non-answer, but it does feel like they are kind of beating around the bush here. Um, the thing with a lot of the, of this is like it, people uh, historically call this crunch culture, and that doesn't necessarily mean that there is a, a specific demand from the higher up in the company. Uh, forcing people to be reprimanded if they don't stay past a certain hour. But there is that sort of like, you don't want to be the first person to walk out of the room when everybody's working late. And everybody listening to the show has worked a job uh, where they had to get there early or they've had to leave late. And many of you have probably found that um, in those margins outside of what you are, you know, sort of uh, specifically hired to work in your your hours, uh, you might find gold. Like you might actually find some wonderful solutions to things. Like there is a bizarre creativity that comes in those weird pockets of delirium that happen. I've I've been privy to that. You know, I've uh, just we just almost wrapped up event season. There were a lot of early mornings, a lot of late nights and weekends and stuff like that. And I'm not going to pretend like my job is any harder than anybody listening because you know I'm not you know. At, out, you know, building uh, construction sites and breaking rocks and stuff like that, working in a mine. But I do think that there uh, is, over the last few years, a conversation that's happened a lot in the video game industry, where a lot of the negative traits that were normalized for very, very long are starting to come to light. And a lot of people are realizing, hey, it is possible to make games without this. And, or maybe without it, it being 100% of a thing, uh, but maybe pulling back a lot, right? When when this generation or last generation started, Rise Son of Rome was one of the sort of flagship launch games. And the studio behind it famously tweeted out uh, bragging about how many pizzas they ordered for their staff to work late at night, uh, crunching on that game. And that was one of the first times I remember uh, watching a bunch of devs on Twitter and a bunch of fans as well, sort of react and go, wait, don't, don't make this like a normal thing. Like there's, you know, obviously you guys hit a deadline. You, or you had a deadline. There was, this was supposed to be a big flagship launch game for the Xbox at the time. And uh, this came at the expense of your employees and reading stories about the, the personal ramifications of this stuff. You know, that um, even with the blizzard stories that just came out recently, there are people that uh, their, you know, their relationships failed their you know, they, they got divorced. They didn't get to see their friends or their family or their kids or anything like that. And I don't think that personally, um, the, the, the selfish benefit of, of, of my satisfaction of playing a video game by X or Y date is worth, 
the personal and health ramifications of those sacrifices. And so I'm glad it's something that's going to continue to be talked about. I hope that because there was a fire under Naughty Dog's ass last time around, um, it seems given this interview that there will continue to be that for their next game or whatever they're working on next, there's less of a pressure on their staff to do that. And so I'm glad these conversations are happening again, everyone listening, you probably have a hard job. You've had to do this. I think that those situations should be rectified as well. Um, (laughs) You know, this is not just the, the, you're listening to a video game podcast. That's talking about a video game problem, but this is a problem at, at many, many jobs. And I think that having the conversation here, you know, the rising tide raises all boats. And I think that sort of, um, openly discussing crunch culture and overworking employees and underpaying them is a big part of like the human experience right now. And it's important to talk about that. And I hope that uh, Naughty Dog sees that they continue to see the backlash on this and they make the lives for their employees uh, healthier and safer and better because I'm glad to wait however long it takes for whatever they make next because I know it'll be great. Yeah, I obviously I think it's safe to say, but it is always, of course, worth saying here that like in no way do we want to support crunch in a way that says it is okay for people to, um, you know, continue to have to suffer to make a game. As, as Brian said, like we are always willing to wait longer for a game to come out. If it means people get to have a better work life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think the, you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of like why I think this interview struck a chord with a lot of people in a, in a frustrating way because of the talking around of things in terms of like, it is a it is a systemic problem that goes far beyond Naughty Dog and like in the wider industry and in just our wider lives and culture. But it, it's this idea that, oh, maybe they're not telling us we have to work 80 hour weeks, but I see this other person on my team working an 80 hour week and they're doing a lot of great work. So maybe I need to do that, too. And it's about the companies finding solutions to help solve that. And, and obviously, Part of that that often comes up is a thing about unionization. And I think this is a thing that people really were frustrated by. And I, th- I think quite understandably was a little right after that, uh, the interview asked, one of the things that the industry has talked about as a possible solution is unionization. You have thoughts on unionization. And Evan replied, I haven't put a lot of thought into that. I don't know if that would be a solution for crunch. And I think they just shouldn't have said, I don't think a lot about that, because I think it's impossible right. to not be the head of a company in an industry that talks about unionization a lot and not have thought about what it would mean for your employees to unionize good or bad from your perspective. Like that just has to be a thing that is on their mind. That's well, it's, it, and if it's not, that's really bad. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's also, this is, these are not, um, this is not an indie studio making a, like a, a quaint puzzle platforming game. This is, this is a studio that is making triple a, uh, you know, deliberately cinematic stuff that I would say is at, at its best, um, at, up there with you know top tier Hollywood movie productions, they're working with actors who I you know and and uh, mocap actors, voice actors, you know one and the same these days. Many of which are unionized. Uh, this it's not like they are completely separated from this. Like in the movie industry, there are you know you don't necessarily have the same exact thing where a game wraps and everyone gets fired, you know, or a movie wraps and everyone gets fired. Those teams will move from production to production. The 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 production teams that we specifically partner with during event season at IGN uh, are are people that are working deliberate hours. They get deliberate lunch breaks and stuff like that. Like that is very organized. That's that's a big part of Hollywood. And so if you're going to be like, oh, our games are you know the movie experience, and they're even getting you know the HBO adaptations, 
Google what a union is. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think quite understandably that that answer really bothered a lot of people, myself included, because it's it's something that just has to have been on your mind. And if it isn't, that is a, a very worrying concern. Um, mm-hmm. I do think in terms of the the broader point, and it's one of those things where it's like, I don't. I am not saying what they're saying is a justification for allowing crunch to continue, but I think the idea that there could be a multifaceted response to crunch is a is a reasonable thought to have. And I do think it's worth pointing out that a uh, developer from Naughty Dog, um, Anthony Vaccaro, an environment artist, uh, sort of responded to this uh, a little bit on Twitter of people talking about this interview um, and said, uh, the effort put in by leadership and employees over the last year plus to find multiple solutions for crunch and studio culture is dramatic. Finding the balance of letting devs push for things they are passionate about while not causing themselves or others to crunch is difficult and takes time. The one-size approach has always failed and leads recognize that, so the whole team is working hard for multiple solutions. Instead of leadership just telling the studio X or Y will be the solution, they have been engaging the entire studio to speak up, participate, and finding ways to combat crunch from various different angles and what's important to each employee in a work-life balance. Change doesn't happen instantly and takes a lot of hard work from all members of the team, which thankfully we have. Uh, you and and they were responding to someone else, but I, I I think that is a very valid point to be made. That like, I, in a creative pursuit like this, you have to allow for people who do want to engage with their work. For perhaps, as you were saying, Brian, like during Gamescom or during event season, we will work nights and weekends to be able to get this stuff delivered. But then we take the appropriate amount of time off afterward to make something like that happen. And that that's not always the case everywhere. But like that's something that we are fortunate to be able to engage in. Mm-hmm. But that like finding the solutions for things like that across different teams and, and, you know, ideas of that nature can apply, but so can unionization. And so can making, and and something like unionization at its base level will ensure protections and safeties so that passion doesn't turn into, um, you know, abusing that passion to get work done at a, at a, uh, demonstrably in a way that demonstrably hurts the employees which i I think is why people push for unionization so much totally agree Um, Uh, one last thing i want to say in this before i feel like i'm hugging all the air here but um the uh the one, the thing that I think a lot of people are forgetting is that um, these games aren't made in a vacuum anymore. Uh, these massive AAA games are uh, made by giant studios that are uh, also connected with international, uh, ha- like basically development houses, third party outlets that are doing things like uh, animation and texture gathering and you know asset photography, all that kind of stuff. And so even if uh, you can fix the problem internally at a studio like Naughty Dog, they could potentially be outsourcing from a studio in a, a you know an international company that uh, does have a, a culture of crunch, and so that's something that has to be sort of rectified as well, right? These are not just games that it's it's not just twenty people in a room working on a game anymore, right? Like if you look at the Assassin's Creed games, they were made by massive, massive studios, Rockstar Games, massive studios, you know, people, companies all over the world, uh, pocket studios all over the world are helping in conjunction to make this stuff. And sometimes they are reaching out to third parties uh, and small independent places that are basically just, you know, gathering assets or, you know, creating textures. And those people are working, you know, nights and weekends, and we don't really hear about those stories as much. So I'm hoping again, that like all of this starts to come to light. And we do find a solution for everybody.
Michelin Taylor, I don't mean to uh, hog the discussion. I got to stop doing that. Every time I take a drink, I just don't want you to hear my weird mouth noises. Um, I obviously, you you know, Brian and and I have been covering this a lot on the show, you know, throughout the years. And so I I don't want to prevent either of you from from jumping in about this. But yeah, yeah, it's it's something that I hope we hear about the solutions as well. Obviously, you know, a lot of the crunch stories come out from reports and and people speaking up anonymously for, for fear of retribution and things like that. But I do genuinely hope we hear about these solutions that may be being worked on uh, and whether they work, whether they don't, uh, and, and sort of the processes that get put in place if those things are being worked on. Because I do think, I like I 100% believe unionization is very important. And if the developers can work toward that, that is massively important. But I also want to know, okay, they are working on this. I would love to hear the results of this. And And as you know, the developer, the environmental artist, Anthony said, these things take time. And so I'm not expecting them to, you know, come up with a solution overnight. But as Naughty Dog gets into development of its next games, I would love to hear about their approach in in changing things to what they feel needs to be changed and, and how the, that gets received. I, I think it, it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the production of their next game. But Mitchell, I'll just throw to you first. I don't know if there's anything you, you wanted to add to this conversation, but. Yeah, I mean, I've been following the the conversation a lot on Twitter, and I see a lot of people that are you know, responding to this art- article and just being like, "No, it is that simple. Mandatory forty hour work weeks, like that's what other uh, other companies do. That's what should be done." And you know, I'm not a game developer. I can't speak to to what that would be like, but I could say that if there was a mandatory forty hour work week at IGN, it would cause me so much stress because then. <laughs> Coming down to the end of the day, instead of it being like, oh, man, it's almost five o'clock, I, like it's almost time to go home. That becomes like I have an hour left to get my work done. And like, you know, when you're when you're in, you know, to, to writing reviews, editing reviews, uh, you know, sometimes it's it's much less stressful on my mental mental health to be like, OK, I'm going to put in another hour or two uh, so that when I wake up the next day, I can feel better about the amount of work that I have to do to get this thing done rather than, you know, I have to cut off at five o'clock and now the next day I have to rush and get everything done before, before my deadline. Or I have to have that uncomfortable conversation with my boss and tell them that I wasn't able to to get it done in time. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the solutions to crunch are, are super simple. I don't, I, I agree with a lot of the, the sentiment coming from what was his name, Anthony? Um, yes. Yeah. The, the developer. Uh, yeah. Where, you know, like this, this is, this has to be a process. They have to figure out something that works. Um, you know, and I also agree with Neil where he says that, uh, you know, the definitions of crunch are different. Um, I am 100% against the idea of crunch where, you know, it's, mandatory 10 to 12 hour work days for a condensed period of time to get something out the door like that shouldn't happen i am against the idea of people sleeping in their cubicles because they need to get work done and they you know they feel like they can't go home that is a massive problem on the production side that needs to be addressed um that said the idea of crunch being you know people who are you know who want to get something done or want to put a little extra polish on something before they wrap up for the day. Uh, you know, I, 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 as someone who, who also feels like that, uh, you know, it's hard for me to get behind, you know, the, the solutions that would snuff that out. Yeah. It's, well it, 
Yeah, it, it's <clears throat> excuse me. It's it's really complex in that way, especially as I think you know people across the board who have create like we have creative uh, buy into the things that we're making and and we care in that way about those things. And so it's it's that balance, right, of making sure you are putting in maybe those extra hours for a day, but that shouldn't be your day every day. Or if you you're putting that in for a particular review, and you know at least on my end. Dan, our reviews editor, is pretty good about telling me make sure to take a comp day for that because you, yeah. I know you did a weekend day for that and and, and things of that nature and and those things need to be sort of like stated, built-in practices as part of a, a company's culture. But yeah, as you said, like w- when things get to that level where people feel the pressure to do that, where they're where they're sleeping in their cubicles, where they're working constantly for uh, demanded for six weeks at a time to work twelve-hour days, that's a that's a failure on a on a production level, and that shouldn't exist and and yeah and i just want to to go back to what you said about dan like i want to say you know as someone who does a lot of reviews who does a lot of edits uh i just want to shout out dan and destin for for just being wonderful whenever they know that i've been working working long hours and you know they they infer it's like mitchell you have to take time off and i'm like okay i will take time (laughs) off (laughs) speaking of we'll get to just the sheer number of incredible reviews you're able to pump out in a little bit but uh before we switch topics tell her anything you wanted to mention on the topic before we switch gears yeah i mean just just echoing with uh what everyone else has said you know i will gladly wait longer for a game if that means that developers do not have to crunch and basically get rid of any sense of a personal life they have just to make sure I get to enjoy this game. You know, uh, game development is not hard. I've never developed a game. I'm not going to say I have. I don't, but I can see that there's definitely a lot of work that's put into it. Just the times I've had to write stories uh, of like some issues, like bugs and things like that. I, for some reason, I just keep thinking about that Skyrim bug where the bee kept causing, oh my God. I was like, it was a virtual bee. It wasn't like an actual bug. It was a, a virtual bee causing chaos. And I was like, I was like, wow, the fact that something like that happens, I was like, I, I just, I can't even imagine how much headache it, it can be to just like the, the step of just making a game from start to finish. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's impressive. I, I wish I could do it. I, but you know, it, it, when I hear stories about how games I love and hearing about people who worked on it, basically having to essentially suffer to make sure that this product comes out pretty polished, it, it makes me feel a little guilty and I, you know, it, mental health and things like that. And people who have to, you know, basically grind to get a game out and get it the product out on time for for all you know for their management for for shareholders all that stuff it, it it's a little disheartening because we see that there's burnout in game development and the the turnaround and the short like retention that there is for game development it, it like clearly crunch is not helping in this so if there's an opportunity where they can address the crunch. And of course, crunch is always going to be different and, and things like that. And I, I can't speak too much about, about working extra hours because I'm a little guilty of that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like that uh, management uh, tries to hold me accountable and make sure like, hey, I, I know you're putting it, you, were, you stayed a little longer. You should try to duck a little early the next day if you can and things like that. And the fact that uh, that this is still an ongoing problem in game development is is a little sad. I, I wish that there is a, a more firm solution to fixing this because I, I don't know. It just, it kind of stinks when you hear people saying how they really want to be a game developer and then what well, they, they stay for less than five years because they just get burned out so quickly. Like that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, the the turnaround and the burnout that feels so prevalent, in, especially in stories that we're hearing, is obviously a result of, of things like that uh, across the industry. We're not just talking about Naughty Dog here in, in that regard. And, and uh, it's it's something that we continue to hear about and obviously something we want to continue to discuss on the show because it's important um, in our minds. I think, as everyone has said, we we love playing these games. We are so impressed by the incredible amount of work that goes into all of it. But we never want that work to cause people's lives to be hurt because they were making a video game. No one should ever have to suffer making a video game to get us a, a cool weapon at a game. Like, that just shouldn't be how it goes. And, and so we, we hope to continue seeing this change, obviously, as we hear more about these stories at PlayStation Studios, at third parties on PlayStation, just in general, the, the industry will we'll talk about it as it comes up. But uh, yeah, as, as I mentioned, that is an interview. Uh, those, those quotes I pulled from are a larger interview on Game Informers. You can go check that out for a, a full deep dive there. Um, but to move on a little bit to uh, something else that we've seen uh, this past week, uh, I do want to briefly touch on it because we were running a little short on time, but I, I didn't want to let the week go, especially Taylor, now that you're you're on this week's episode, uh, without quickly mentioning uh, something interesting in terms of game development, of seeing really, really early production on a AAA third-party game, uh, and that's the Dead Space remake currently being made at Motive uh, as part of EA. Um, this was announced earlier this year. And we got a live stream earlier this week of uh, a couple of the leads on the game uh, showing extremely early looks at this. This was stuff that was legitimately like, uh, you know, wireframe test rooms where they were trying out combat where nothing else but the player and the, uh, you know, the enemies were at all polished. Like it's, it's very bare bones in some places because this is how they're testing things out, how they're developing things. We got a couple of shots that were elemental moods and and ideas of what a hallway might be like if you're if you're watching the show um i recommend checking it out um huge shout out to also former uh podcast beyond guest uh Khalif adams who who was uh hosting that uh co-hosting that stream uh it was really well done uh, i i loved this really really early look i loved that they were being so honest about this because i feel like when it comes to triple a game development it is always so so secretive and obviously this is you know a pre-planned stream by the devs showing specific things, wanting to show it in a good light, of course. But I think this is a really interesting approach, and I hope we see more of this, not just from Dead Space, but in general. Like, I really appreciate how honest this was of like, yeah, you're seeing a lot of really unfinished stuff here, but here it is for everyone to see, not just a behind-closed-doors demonstration. Here it is for everyone to see. Uh, Brian, I'll briefly start with you, and, and then Taylor, I, I definitely want to hop over to you, but Brian, what do you think of this? Yeah, no, you you nailed it. I'm I'm such a geek for uh, behind the t- behind the scenes making of stuff. Um, historically, I'm not crazy about when games get announced with these sort of you know navel gazy videos. Uh, EA had a history of doing that for a while of sort of being like, "Here's me on my computer and I'm making a Star Wars game," and I'm like, "Can I see it?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> um, and that's not the case here, right? I think this is a a, a remake, so we we sort of understand what the skeletal frame of this game is going to be like. Because uh, we've played it before. Many of us have. And if you haven't, please do, because it's great. Um, but B, it's just really cool to see, you know, here's here's them presenting problems and solutions, talking that about that with transparency and sort of saying, this is this is a concept art. This is the mode, the mood we're going for here. You know, this is we're going to flat out say there's no microtransactions. This is, you know, some of the ideas and some of the tests, the the triumphs and failures along the way. That stuff is so, so cool. Um and I appreciate that they're they're bringing fans into this and 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 really going. This is a really important franchise to a lot of people, and we recognize that it sort of lost its way here and there. But also, like the the core philosophy of of Dead Space connected so well with so many people 
And we want to talk to those people and we want to see what we can do to make them happy. And that's, that's really, really awesome. So, um, yeah, props, props to EA for doing this. Yeah, I, I think it's a really cool look. And yeah, it ties into their broader theme of trying to bring in sort of like community councils to to help, uh, you know, advise on, on making sure they get it right. I think it's a really cool thing. But yeah, Taylor, I wanted to throw to you just as like a huge Dead Space fan. I know what what do you think of the first look? How, how is it sort of living up to your expectations? And what do you think of this kind of like early peek at, at what we're hoping to see? Oh man, just watching that was it was just a real treat. You know, uh I, you know, I loved the first Dead Space. Uh I, I think back of the memories of the first time I saw the commercial for it before it came out. I was like, I have to play this. <laughs> uh and you know, Dead Space 2 was great. Uh Dead Space 3, I don't want to talk about that. But you know, I, <laughs> the fact that the the series had had the fall that it did, that uh, the fall from grace that it did. And when I heard that they were going to remake the first game, and I was I was really cautious just because it definitely as the the series progressed with the few games that it had it definitely focused more on like that action kind of thing and I was like no 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 bring back the horror the I think there was a little bit of apprehension that at least I saw online where people were like why are they remaking the first game the first game was great it, it was great but at the same time too like I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think this is probably the best way for them to go with remaking the game. And the fact that they're they're this like they're showing us early production development build and just being like, hey, here's what we're working on. This is what we got so far. That level of transparency, I think, is very crucial when developers are taking the mantle of a beloved franchise. It helps engage the community. It helps get community feedback much earlier in the development. And not only is it beneficial to the developers, but it's also beneficial to the community and just the fans of the series as a whole. And just, I just can't stop looking at uh, one of the comparison pictures of the first game from the original to the like the, the development build. I was like, yes, I know this is an early build, but oh my god, the lighting, the the atmosphere, the the detail on Isaac's arm just all this stuff they're just they're striking so many good chords with me and i'm i'm more excited to learn up more about this game i'm excited to see how they handle this game because i was i was like i don't know who else could handle dead space i don't know visceral's gone like i don't know if i'd want anybody else to touch it but uh, <laughs> this put me a little bit better peace of mind i, I want to see more I'm hoping they show us more soon, but I, I think this is a, they're, they're moving things in the right direction. And I wish that tri AAA developers did more of this, especially when they're bringing back a dormant franchise that everybody's like, Oh, I don't know if I really want them to work on this or, or something like that. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it, obviously with something like a remake, they have a little bit more leeway showing things because the full game is known, you know, in comparison to say like, if they had been doing this with the last of us part two on, you know, just to go back to Naughty Dog, it might've been weird for them to show too much, but with a remake, they, they have a little bit more leeway, but yeah, I totally agree. I, I really love the precedent this sets, and I hope we continue to see it uh, with future games, not just at EA, but broadly. Uh, Mitchell, uh, any any thoughts on, on the live stream, if you watched, or just, you know, the general? It's it's us? just such a, a breath of fresh air to to see, a, uh, you know, a, pub a big publisher like EA be willing to show an in-progress look of, like, this really big AAA game. Um, because usually what happens is, you know, we see, we see vertical slices, we see really, you know, really beautiful trailers that aren't quite representative of what it's actually going to be when the game comes out, and, you know, in not, not in the way of like this, this was, but in the opposite direction of it being like way nicer looking than it actually ended up being. Um, so it, it's, it's just such a refreshing change that they're willing to, to be almost as vulnerable with, with this game. And show you know it's so early in development 
so yeah, I, I I love it. I especially love what they're doing with the the damage models or like you know what what how enemies react when they get shot how like chunks of their their arm get blown off it, it very very much right excuse me very much reminds me of like doom eternal um just in terms of like the way enemies you know wear their damage yeah uh which is exactly what you would want to see in a game like dead space so i think they they did a good job a good job of answering why dead space could could use a remake because so many people were like you don't need to remake Dead Space. Dead Space is perfect. Um, so yeah, I, I love this. Yeah, I, I think it was a really cool look. We got confirmation that uh, the original voice actor is reprising his role for for Isaac, and and some looks at things like you said, uh, the dismemberment is such a thing that's synonymous with Dead Space. And so yeah, finding ways in which they're using the new technology to actually up the ante of what that means for for combat and things of that nature is is a really cool look at it. Uh, so yeah, uh, hats off to to the motive team for doing this. I hope we see more of these from Dead Space because I'm just really really interested as it seems we all are in it. But uh, yeah, I, I hope we get to see more of this. Um, you know, I get that it it's a worrying thing because it can create certain expectations from the audience of like, well, you showed this, what happened? Because things change all the time in game development. So the, of course that is very understandably a worry. Uh, but I appreciated the way they couched this, the way they framed it, and and what they showed off. So yeah. Really happy to see that. And again, if you if you want to check out the full stream, it it's out there. I definitely definitely recommend it. Uh, whether or not you're a huge Death Space fan, it's just a really interesting look at development. Um, before we wrap up, since we're we're pretty late on time, I uh, do just want to briefly throw to I guess sort of a combo of slash things you've been playing slash things you might want to promote content that you've been working on anything like that. So Brian, I'll start with you. Uh, I've been playing Saints Row Two. I went and revisited that game after the reveal of the new Saints Row reboot because I noticed uh, there was a large conversation among that audience that I guess I'd never really put together. That that audience has been completely splintered and split in half for a very long time now between people who really like Saints Row 2 because it was, you know, semi gritty and serious at times while still being uh, slapstick and cartoony all over the place. Uh, and Saints Row 3, which like totally veered into uh, kind of nonsense world. Um, and I've always really loved both. I've always preferred three. The developers of the reboot said they're sort of like looking at three as the sort of the boilerplate, you know, or the, the template for where they want to go with the new reboot, which obviously, um, you know, kind of frustrated some players. But I'm playing two now to sort of reconnect with that franchise. I've been doing that a lot with games when, when you know, when Far Cry 6 got announced. I'm like, let me go play the old Far Cry games. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. So uh, I'm almost done with it, actually. And I'll probably talk more about it next week but um yeah i'm i'm just happy they're making a new saints row game so nice uh and mitchell want to throw to you you've uh, since we last had you on uh not last week but before that uh you've been in quite a, a busy review period you did the ghost of tsushima uh iki island expansion review uh you just put up i believe today did you do sonic colors ultimate yeah sonic colors yeah. ultimate sonic colors remastered yeah, um, uh, you did both those reviews, but yeah. So, what have you been playing? Slash, what what do you want to point people toward? Oh, uh, I gotta be careful here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing some embargoed stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, the next God of War is great. I agree. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never if heard it, of it. So, if it's Elden Ring, tell the crow to uh, scroll <laughs> three times. <laughs> um. No, I've been playing, uh, obviously, Sonic Colors Ultimate, which, uh, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, I've been playing, what have I been playing? Oh, obviously, Guilty Gear's Drive. I always play Guilty Gear's Drive. Um, that's just a game that I'll probably be playing for 
you know the the rest of my life um and yeah i mean outside of that you know apart from some of the embargo stuff that i've been playing uh you know just games with friends games. Yeah, <laughs> among us <laughs> Fair enough. i'm sorry it's a weird answer no. I can't no, i'm trying to solve the puzzle of what i know <laughs> what they could be um but September yeah i definitely biggest games <laughs> <laughs> um if it's a review, Mitchell might be doing it because he uh, he does those. It's quite not well. a game I'm reviewing. I'll see. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, but anyway, I uh, just wanted to yeah point people toward your Iki Island uh, review. It was a really great uh, review, as of course you reviewed the original game as well. Uh, so people have probably already jumped into the expansion. I know that the uh, the standalone Legends mode is available starting this Friday for people. Uh, but yeah, go check out that review if you haven't, and if you're a Sonic fan, go check out the Sonic Colors Ultimate. I've never played Colors. So I, I'm looking forward to it's one of the best modern Sonic games. So nice. if you're at all curious about Sonic, awesome. definitely check it out. Always curious about Sonic. That's how I live my <laughs> life. Uh, the internet's great for that. Uh, Taylor, what causes anything? this blue hedgehog to run so fast? <laughs> it's the power of Ben Schwartz's voice is what I imagine. Uh, Taylor, anything you want to point people towards slash what have you you've been playing that you want to highlight? Well, I uh, I recently beat Psychonauts two, uh, nice. and I'm going to start too. playing. Oh yeah, it's so uh, it's so good. Uh, I it was well worth the 15 plus years that we had to wait for 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 this game. Uh, but I'm also about to start uh, Ghost of Tsushima uh, director's cut. I waited to play this game. Uh, I because I was like, mm, do I do I want to buy it on PS4? Uh, they're probably gonna release it again on PS5. I'm glad I did that. So I'm gonna play that soon. Uh, I am nice. playing a game for review. I cannot say what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, so I'm gonna have to try to split times for that. But obviously, the review is gonna prioritize for me. But I'm excited to play Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, I read Mitchell's review for both uh, the expansion and the base game, and I was like, oh god, I gotta play this so bad. So uh, that's that's all my current play right now. <laughs> Let's trade NDAs. Um, I'll tell if you tell. I'll tell you if you tell me. <laughs> um, if you play this episode backwards, you'll actually hear every game they've been playing. Um, but yeah, uh, Taylor, I hope you enjoy uh, Ghost. Uh, definitely a lot roughly double the time you expect to play to also include photo mode time. You're going to spend a lot yes. of time taking and, photos. And petting the animals. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which there's now even more in Iki Island. Mm -hmm. It's great to just go up to a bunch of monkeys and, and hang out with them. It's wonderful. I'm um, actually super envious of you that you're playing that. That's like one of those, like, I wish I could wipe my mind and play it from scratch. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. going to have so much fun with the game. You're going to get so lost in it. It's just such a beautiful world. It's such a Damn, it's so yeah. good. It's so great. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about Ghost more on the, maybe a quieter week, but we had a lot to talk about. Uh, but yeah, uh, check out M Mitchell's piece, uh, the, the both the Iki Island review and the Sonic Colors Ultimate review uh, and all the other work uh, Mitchell's been doing recently. Uh, but yeah, I played, I've been playing Iki Island. Uh, I started up Genshin Impact because I need to get Aloy be because I'm a, a PlayStation podcast host and I need Aloy when she appears in another game. Who's your current uh, so I've been doing that. Uh, I just, in, in I'm just at the beginning of the game, oh, okay. so it's still pretty much like the basic people okay. um, <laughs> whose names I'm forgetting. But uh, the the ice guy, the fire woman with the bow, uh, <laughs> the lightning librarian, and my character. Um, so yeah, it's really fun. I like it. It's a very pretty world, and I, I like just hanging out in it. And uh, yeah, I have lost several nights already this week to it, and that's probably going to be the case for a little while. But uh, that pretty much wraps us up. For this week's episode of Podcast Beyond, uh, thank you, Brian, Mitchell, and Taylor for joining me for this week's episode. Uh, thank you all for, for taking the time. And thank you to Red, our producer, as always, for making the show happen. 
Uh, and thank you to everyone out there for watching and listening. Uh, and thank you to everyone who sent in questions and everything for this episode as well. Uh, we hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond. 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 What if you discovered you could move between the worlds of dreams and real life? That's the story of Dream Breachers, where Evan wakes up on his 12th birthday and realizes that something he dreamt about the night before had actually happened. With the help of his friends, a reappearing stranger, and a mysterious organization called the Dream Academy, Evan will discover what it means to be a Dream Breacher. Dream Breachers is a high-stakes sci-fi mystery adventure about the highs and lows of having all your dreams come true and is perfect for kids ages 8 to 12. If that sounds like a dream to you, you're in luck. You can listen to Dream Breachers now, wherever you get your podcasts.